Okay, Bibles turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning we're looking at verses 13 through 17. And our subject this morning is, does Christian mean something? Verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action and being sober minded, let, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. Oh God, we pray in these moments that you'll give us your instruction and encouragement and teach us, we pray. Oh Lord, we ask, Lord, you speak to that heart who's yet to come to faith in Christ. And we pray for that dear soul that's burdened. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll do your work. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. The greatest gift that you or I could ever receive is the gift of salvation. It's a wonderful gift. It's so great. The Hebrew writer says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It is a great salvation. Uh, Paul put it this way. He says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And when you think about it, here in this passage, we've been looking at uh, on Sunday mornings, Peter has been talking to us about salvation. He's been speaking of the greatness of our salvation. It was given to us by our Heavenly Father. And we have been elected according to the foreknowledge of God. The Bible says there. And he also says it's because of his abundant mercies. He's caused us to be born again unto a living hope. He's talked about an inheritance that we'll receive that's incorruptible, undefiled, and it fadeth not away. It's a great salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. This wonderful salvation is Jesus Christ our Lord. Our Lord, whom having you've not seen, you love. Whom having, though now you see him not, you believe. And you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So precious is our salvation. The prophets have looked into and they have inquired and wondered about what manner of person, who he is, and what time he would come. And some things that really piqued their interest. It's such a great salvation that even the angels in heaven have looked into and desired to know more about. Thank God this morning we are saved by the grace of God. It's not because of any merit, any accomplishments that we have done. It's only by the grace of God. We're given uh, the gift of eternal life. We're forgiven of all our sins and he has reserved a place in heaven for us. Also, we will share in the glories of Christ that he will has. And all of this, regardless of what happens here while we're here in this life, the trials of our faith, 
Uh, it's more precious than gold that perishes. Though to be tried by fire, it will be resulting in praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now with all of that, with such a great gift of salvation, comes great responsibilities. As the scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. And so there is something required of us. The magnitude of this gift is such that it demands loyal service and devotion to our Savior. You know, being a Christian, it's not just like wearing the name. It's not like putting on a jacket like this cool Sunday morning and then we go back home after church, you put it back in the closet and you don't consider it no more. It's every day. It's all of our lives, 24-7. It's throughout our days. We are a Christian. We are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems like today that the meaning of Christian has no meaning. Uh, just about everybody will say they're a Christian. But when you begin to look and you consider the fruit and the evidence is, is sometimes it's not there. It doesn't show. But when there is true salvation, there is a true transformation. God does a work. And he wants us to see that here beginning in verse 13 when he starts off with therefore. Maybe your Bible says wherefore. And every time you see that transition word there, it means you go back and see why it's there for. We've already been looking at that. So therefore... He says, prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says here, since we are a Christian, since we've been born again to a living hope, that means something. And there's three main points that I want to consider as we look at this text. First of all, we look at verse 13 and consider this. Set your hope. We'll be looking at that first. And then second, we'll talk about be holy in verses 14 uh, through 16. And then the last one is conduct yourselves with fear. Well, let's begin with verse 13 where he says, set your hope. Okay, so let's get ready. Set your hope. Well, we're set, we set things all the time, don't we? You set your calendar, don't you? You set your schedules. You set your appointments. You set your clock. You set, some people set an alarm because they want to wake up at a certain time. You set uh, ladies who bake. You know, sometimes they'll set the, uh, the timer on the oven. You know, make sure you don't go over and you set things. Well, raising kids, you know, you set uh, some, some ground rules. You set boundaries. And uh, if you're trying to stay on a budget, you set limits on what you can spend. We're always setting things. When we leave today, you know, usually we'll set the alarm in case somebody wants to break in our church. So I want you to think about setting your hope. And we need to reset it. Uh, sometimes with, uh, we forget about what we're talking about here. So he's, he talks about setting your hope. Now hope, it's like faith. Faith. We, you know, we believe in God and we have faith in God. We, we live by faith and we walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, faith is uh, our trust in God. We trust God in the present. But hope is like faith in the future. In the future. You know, we have come to know that God is trustworthy. We have learned about his promises and we can believe in him, believe what he says in his promises. And so we have hope that is faith in the future. Uh, we don't know 
uh, what all is going to happen. There's so many things that's beyond our control. But we come to place our faith and our hope in a sovereign God who controls everything. So skip down to verse 21. He talks about this faith and hope in verse 21. He says, Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that what? So that your faith and hope are in God. We've been talking about hope in this, in this passage. In verse 3, we saw there where he says he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Our hope is not a dying hope. It's not a useless hope, but it's living. And uh, we have hope in a God who raises the dead. That guarantees when Jesus was raised from the dead, it guarantees that Jesus, God will raise us from the dead. We will get a glorified body. So we have that promise and we have that faith and that hope. In verse 13, Peter gives us exactly what we're to place our hope on. Look at it with me there in verse 13. He says, prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded. Set your hope, here it is, fully on the grace that would be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully. That means completely. Unreservedly, set your hope completely. On what? The grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we're saved by grace. But when you think about the coming of the Lord, you think about the rapture, you think about the second coming and all the, cum the culmination of, of all the end time things. When the Lord comes and takes us home to heaven, when he comes and takes you before that time that the Bible speaks of, the revelation of Jesus in the book of Revelation, and you pass away in death, the Lord sends angels to take you to home to glory. All of that is a gift of grace. It was grace that saved you. And a place in heaven, reserved in heaven, that is a gift of grace. So he says there's focus on the grace. Don't ever think about, okay, I've been living a good life for the Lord, and so I know I'm going to have a place in heaven. No, no, no. Always think about it's the grace. You're there by the grace of God. He comes to get you by the grace of God. And so he says, focus on the grace. And it's important that because so many people have this guilt complex. You know what? I've been such a bad Christian. I, I really haven't been thinking like I should. I shouldn't have been acting like I should. Listen, no one's perfect. But we're saved by grace. And he's coming in grace. And so focus not on the event itself. Don't focus on so much what it's going to be like in heaven, that's great, but focus on the grace. That's what's going to get you to heaven. It's the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So all of that is a gift of God's grace. Another way of putting it, Paul says in Colossians 3 and 1, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So setting your hope is so important. On the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. It's not easy. It's, I mean, setting your hope on the grace that is to be brought to you, that falls off the radar. 
<laughs> it's not something that's on our mind. Uh, sometimes what we focus on more than anything is we, we think about other things. Uh, we're, we're still dealing with remaining sin. We have this old flesh. And that sinful nature that wars against God. Uh, the pleasures of sin. I mean, it appeals to our fleshly appetites. It's there. And it's hard to just to focus on the grace that he's going to send our way when Jesus comes. But it may be not, not so much caught up in s- sinful things, but maybe you're doing permissible things, even good things. You're, you're working hard, you're, you're making a living, and you're, you're doing all the things that you need to do. You're raising a family and, and all these things. But you can be so overwhelmed with all of that that you lose focus upon that great hope of the grace that's going to be brought to us at the appearing of Jesus. It kind of gets put out of the way sometimes. And Jesus spoke of that. He says, listen, you don't, don't, don't get so worried and anxious about things like that. What you should eat and what you should drink and what you should put on. He says in Matthew 6, Seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And we get caught up in all that, you know. I'll be the first to admit that. I get, I get so much stuff on my mind, so many things that's so caught up in, I forget about that. But he says, setting your hope fully on the grace that would be brought to us. And as I said, it just falls off the radar. We begin to think more about, well, I'm, I'm thinking more about that bill that's going to be brought to me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about those bad news that I might be brought to me. You know, I might get some bad news after I went to the doctor, you know, and, you know, they'll call and say, you know what, that didn't look good, you know. Or uh, rising cost of groceries, gas prices, and taxes, and all that, world events, all these things, and just bombard us. And we forget about the main thing, if we're going to live for a, as a Christian and be a witness for the Lord Jesus, number one, get the future fixed. Set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you. It's, it's going to come to you. Just mark it down. It's in the future at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Get that fixed. Set your hope on that. So how can you do that? Two things to consider. First of all, in verse 13, he says this. Prepare your minds for action. Look at verse 13. Preparing your minds for action. King James Version may use that word gird up. Gird up the loins of your minds. Gird up. We don't try to use that, you know. Gird. gird I might be close to the word girdle, you know. <laughs> gird. What, what it is, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, uh, pulling up the ends of the, ro- of the robes. They wore robes. And thank God we don't do that today. But anyway, they pulled up the ends of the robes and pulled it through their sash, through their belt, so they can get ready for physical activity or warfare and activities like that. So they won't be all tripped up. You know, you put a robe on me, I'll be falling all over the place, you know. <laughs> but anyway, pull all the, so what it is, gird up the loins of your mind. Pull up all the loose ends. Pull it in. We heard that verse in Ephesians chapter 6. You know, stand firm, having on the belt of truth. That is, gird up the loins of your mind. Have it all, all the loose end put in. Have a disciplined mind. That's what he's talking about. Prepare your minds. Have a disciplined mind for action. The devil targets your mind. If he's got your mind, he's already got you. We're living in a culture today where people's minds have already been blown away. People don't even think straight. Almost ran over a guy a few, like a week ago, Patty and I coming back 
from uh, Alabama, coming down from some guy crazy, walked right out in front of us. Whoa! Had a dart to the other lane. Well, then I made another guy mad. He about hit me, blowed the horn. Oh, what am I do? Hit you or hit the guy? You know? I mean, there's people out there who don't even know what they're doing. A disciplined mind is what he's talking about right here. Prepare your minds for action. Now, the devil is our enemy. He worked on Eve's mind and said to Eve, uh, Did God say you not to eat to that? The devil said, You shall not die. That's a lie. The devil is a liar. The devil says, God knows that in the day that you eat that, your eyes shall be open, you should be as God's, knowing good and evil. In other words, the devil gave Eve something to think about it. Chew on that for a while. Think on that. He plays with your mind. And she began to look at that fruit. When she saw the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, she ate it, she gave it also to her husband with her, and they did eat. She failed to listen to what God said. God said no. So if we are to set our hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to us, we are to prepare our minds for action. We are to act in a godly way with biblical uh, thinking. Um, and it's not going to be by accident. We have to purposely choose to think God's ways and get the good information from God's word. Romans 12 and 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So number one, prepare your minds for action. But number two, be sober-minded. Being sober-minded. Now what's the opposite of being sober? It's drunk. Our mind can be intoxicated with all kinds of thinking. And there's lots of wrong information that you pick up. Our brain is like a sponge. We absorb things and messages and information that needs to be out of our thinking. Because it's not godly. It's not the truth. And so we need to be clear-minded. We need to be disciplined in our thinking. Uh, we, we're not to be under the control of worldly and sinful ways of thinking. Because when we become intoxicated with ungodly ways, what happens? We lose our focus on Christ. We lose our focus on the Lord Jesus. And here's what the devil does. He plays with our mind. He says, well, you can do this. You can do that. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You can listen to that song on the radio. That's fine. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You can watch that movie. Ain't nothing wrong with that movie. You, you can say that joke to somebody. That's nothing wrong with that joke. Go ahead and tell it. You know, go ahead. You can entertain that. You can put that in your mind and your thinking. You can entertain. There's some things that we, we, we should not play around with because it becomes a part of our thinking and it's, it's not good. So we need to be sober-minded. The devil says there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with stealing. There's nothing wrong with lying. Enjoy your life. Take it easy. Do your own thing. Don't get all hampered in about these rules and regulations. That's what the devil is. Well, being sober-minded requires of us to acknowledge there is something, and here it is, I'm going to bring it out there. It's, it, it bothers people, I know, in our world today. But being sober-minded 
requires of us to acknowledge that there is something called sin. And whatever happened in that word, there is something that is wrong. And sin, so we, we deal with sin in our own life. We call it what it is. We, we confess it. We do like David did in Psalms 32 when he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, O God. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So being sober-minded requires of us to stay focused on the Word of God. Psalms 119 verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Very, very important. We've got to have a filter in our mind. Because there's so much stuff we pick up. The other day I was pulling something out of a bottle. I don't know if it was a medicine bottle or whatever. I think it was... Uh, uh, sometimes they put some of this cotton in, in some of this medicine bottle, a wad of cotton. And the sun was coming through the window. So you know how the sunlight and the sunbeam. And I was pulling it. And what, what, what's all that in the air? Am I breathing all that? You know, we need a filter because there's so much stuff that gets into our thinking and our attitudes and our, our mindset. And we need God's word to filter it all out. So we get the pure word of God. Being sober-minded helps us to stay focused in prayer. Uh, if you look at, look at 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verse 7. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. And here it is, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter says the end of all things is at hand. We are at the end time. We're living in the last days. This is the end. And if there is a time that we need to be concentrated and sober-minded and clear thinking and in prayer, it's today. Look at chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. The devil's trying to put us out of business. He says there, be sober-minded. Here again, be sober-minded, be watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's talking about Christians right here. Put Christians out of business. So, as a Christian, we're moving toward that day when Christ will come. The revelation of the Lord is coming. And we're moving toward that day. So we need to set our hope fully on that grace that is to be brought to us. That takes care of the future. Well, what about the present? Well, that's number two. The present, be holy. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Number one, don't act like you used to be. That's your formal ignorance. That's your unregenerate condition that you used to be. Don't, don't go back to that. As obedient children. We're not children of disobedience. We are children of obedience. And so we're not to be conformed to the passions of our formal ignorance. Don't be like you were before you came to Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 it says, For this is the will of God. Your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. 
So we can't go back to that way of living and thinking. Don't be conformed to the to passions of your formal ignorance. So we don't act that way, but what, how do we act? Well, act like the God who called us. Act like the God who called us. In verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. In all manner of conversation, be holy. He called you. Now that's a call to salvation. That's a call, that's the effectual call of God, where he by grace, efficacious grace, he called you out of darkness and called you into his marvelous light. That's the call of salvation. A holy God calls us to be holy. And by the way, holiness is not left to some fringe group denomination. Holiness is a standard for all Christians. Some people, we, people got classifications for Christians. Well, you got these little super Christians. They're, they're, oh, that's the, no, no. It's for all Christians. Be holy. Well, first of all, you can't be holy like God. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord. So don't worry about that. You say, well, I can't be holy like, well, no, there is none holy like God. Uh, we're not at that level. We'll never be at that level. But you know what? We can get in the pathway and make, start making progress toward that direction. Perfection. It's not something we have. It will one day come. But until then, we get on the track and start walking on the pathway of holiness and living a Christ life. Life. Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, You therefore must be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. So for the future, we set our hope that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus. And then in the present, we are to live holy lives, godly lives, be holy in our life. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 5 and 1. He says, Therefore be imitators of God. Dear children, dearly beloved, be imitators of God. You know, here's one way. Let me just give you one way to be an imitator of God. And this is such a great need today in our families, family life, church life. And it's this right here. Kindness and forgiveness. Kindness and forgiveness. That's what you need. That's what I need. I need a ton of it a lot. Kindness and forgiveness. Not that, not that people are not kind to me my family. But <laughs> kindness and forgiveness. Let me read the verse. Ephesians 4.32 says this. Be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Listen to this. Forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. That's an imitator of God. Be like God in that respect. Even as God in Christ forgave you. Now here's what Peter's saying when he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. He's quoting scriptures. He didn't just come up with this. He pulled it out of the Old Testament. It goes back to Leviticus, especially there in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, where it says, God is speaking through Moses, and God says, For I am the Lord your God. Come
consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. You shall not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You should therefore be holy. You be holy for I am holy. Now let me say something right here because you might be discouraged. It is discouraging you think about it. Be holy. I don't think I'll ever, I don't think I'll ever make it. Y'all might as well just count me out of that. Let's look at our text one more time. Let me give you a more literal translation of verse 15 and verse 16. Let me read it to you. A literal reading of it goes like this. But according as he who called you is holy, you also, here it is, Become holy. I like that better, don't you? Become holy in all behavior. Because it's been written, become holy because I am holy. You say, well, I can't just be holy. Well, at least let's work on that. Let's get into progress. Let's get on the, let's get on the track and start. Let's get in the process of becoming. We're in the process of becoming holy. We're not all the way there. Not there yet. But become holy. That helps and I think also what helps here is to know that God says, God says, I am holy. You want to get to know who God is? When you get to know who God is, when you get to know more about him in his word and begin to learn of him to the Lord Jesus, he's holy. He's holy. And we come to find out sin grieves the heart of God. There's things that really... You know, God hates, you know, and so it should grieve us when we see what sin does in our life. 1 John 3 and 3 says, Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So it should motivate us to do that. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion. It's not all there, but we're bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So here it is. Set your hopeful in the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus and also be holy in all your conduct. Then number three, he says there in verse 17, conduct yourselves with fear. And if you call him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. I thought about using a different word than the word fear. It's a good word. It's a Bible word. You see it in scriptures, especially in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9 and 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalms 111 and verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What are, what are we talking about here, fear? Fear is mean reverence, respect, and honor. Honoring Christ, we honor. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We respect reverential fear. We respect God who is our Heavenly Father. He's our Heavenly Father. Now I'm not talking about being so scared that you're, you're, you tremble. But there is, there is, that could be important. 
but I mean we can come to our Heavenly Father. He's our Father. We're His child. There is that intimate relationship that we have. We pray, and Jesus invites us to pray. He says, when you pray, say what? Say, our Father, who art in heaven. Matthew 6, verse 6, he says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father, who is in, in, uh, in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for many words, but don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. And then Paul, he spoke about how intimate it is, our relationship with God the Father, when he says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And that word Abba, it's like Papa or Daddy. Very intimate. God our Father. Now listen, God as our Father, he's not an indulgent Father. He's not a permissible, permissive kind of a Father. He doesn't just let you do what you want to do. He loves his own. Hebrews 12 verse 5 says that he will chasten his, his children. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't be weary when you reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. And then number two, respect God who is the impartial judge. Verse 17 is so clear here. He says, read again. You call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Each one. So does it matter how we live as a Christian? Here it is. We will give an account of our life before God one day. We'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible tells us. And thank God... Heaven is our home, and that's already been paid for by the blood of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we're to live like we want to, do what we want to, because we have to give an account on what we do with what God's given to us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it's good or bad. The judgment seat is for Christians, and it's not a determination whether you go to heaven or hell. Hey, you're in Christ. Heaven's your home. But it's God will give you a reward for your life. It's a reward or lack of rewards. I would hate to stand in heaven empty, totally empty-handed. I would like to at least say, the Lord, look, you know, you could have done more, but you did a few things. I think, I don't know. I don't know what those tears are all about when the Bible says God shall wipe away every tears from our eyes. Don't you think maybe some of those tears might be tears of regret? Oh, man, I should have done this. I should have. Why? You know, why was I so negligent? So knowing this, the judgment seat of Christ, knowing that it should motivate us to conduct ourselves with fear, with reverence, with respect, with honor for God during the time of our exile. What's that about? As a Christian, we're in exile. We're in exile. Well, no. No, I live here in Tennessee. <laughs> it's exile. 
This is not your home. Our citizenship is in heaven from where we wait our Savior. We're just a stranger and pilgrim in this world. We're in exile. And so while we're here in exile, until Jesus comes, let's conduct ourselves in a way that shows reverence and respect and that pleases God. Hello, this is Pastor Chris Gowan. Thank you for listening, and we hope the message was helpful. If you want to reach out to us through Sermon Audio, you can email, call, or even write us using our contact information that's given on this website. We'd be delighted to help you in your walk with Christ. May our blessed Lord enrich you and yours with his amazing grace and abounding love. Goodbye.